Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Sorry to cut off your time. Nice. You know what? Just hang out. It's all good. We'll just, we'll just take some time to hang out this morning. Um, good morning. If you guys are new with us, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And just uh, from the bottom of our hearts, we are just blessed that you guys are here this morning. I wanted to start out this morning giving you guys an update with regards to our building. As some of you know, we've been in the process of purchasing a building downtown on 7th and Wallace. And so I think we have a picture of it just to give you some context of what building it is. Somewhere. It's all those buildings. And yeah, <laughs> you guys don't know that we literally just bought downtown Coeur d'Alene. So yeah, it's cool. There it is. Yeah, the Social Security building. Uh, so we, since January, we've kind of been in process on this building and jumping through all the hoops that we had to. And then uh, we had five things that we had talked about at our last family meeting that we were, doors, we were just kind of waiting for the door, the Lord to either open or shut. And it looks like he's opened all of them. So um, this last week we had our meeting, our public hearing with the uh, city planning commissioning, uh, planning commission board. And we got approval for our uh, special use permit. And that was kind of the last big thing that we were waiting on. So now it looks like the building should close June 15th. And we're going to throw a massive party downtown Coeur d'Alene on June 15th. So we're really excited. So what a, what a cool thing. So anyway, that's just an update for those of you that are wondering what's going on with the building. If you guys would turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, we're going to camp out in verses 44 through 52 this morning. Also, if you're new with us, um, just to kind of give you a, a little heads up on how we handle our messages. We have been working through the book of Matthew for like the last year and three months, just plowing our way through it verse by verse. And so this morning we find ourselves in this series of par uh, parables in Matthew chapter 13. Sorry, I'm losing my voice. I yelled too much at the last service. My voice is gone. So let me pray and then let's dig in this morning. Jesus, we just come before you this morning and um, we're just humbled and we're grateful that we get to serve you. God, I thank you for your church. I thank you for the work that you're doing amongst her all across the world. God, to think that today there are literally believers, followers of Jesus, gathering all over the world under one banner, the name of Christ, and we get to participate in that. And so I pray this morning, Jesus, that your spirit would be present here, that you would move, God. I know that there are those who just wandered in here this morning. They have no idea why they're here. I pray Jesus, that you speak to their hearts, to the condition of their hearts, to the things going on in their lives. Lord, I know that there are others here who come here every week, and maybe they're at a place where it's just kind of like they're in the rhythm and in the routine, and I'm just praying this morning, God, that you ignite, reignite their passion and their love for you this morning as we dig into your word, Jesus. So we give this time to you, Lord. We pray that you're honored and you're glorified in your name. Amen. So we're going to be talking about the kingdom of heaven a bit this morning as Jesus has been talking about that through, um, throughout the book of Matthew. Matthew highlights this uh, much. And one of the things I was thinking about this week is how cool is it that even as we'll see in this parable, parable this morning, that the kingdom of God is both something that we find and it's something that pursues us. And as crazy as it sounds this last week, I was just thinking how neat is it that the kingdom is literally, that Jesus is literally in pursuit of us. For those of you who maybe have known Jesus for a while, 
Like, may that just resonate in your heart this morning, that he's been after you and he's with you. Um, and, and may you be reminded of that. For those of you that don't know Jesus this morning, my prayer is that there would be just like uh, the audible voice of the Lord speaking to your heart this morning, letting you know how much he loves you, letting you know that he's been after you for years, and maybe this is the day that he's going to get a hold of your heart. But as I was thinking about this passage this week, I was thinking about the fact that our society today, like just take one second and think about our society, the fact that it's filled with driven people, right? It's filled with people that have dreams. It's filled with people that have aspirations, people with a sense of direction of where they want to go, what they want to do, people that have drive and people that have determination. And so let me start by asking you guys a question this morning. What are your greatest ambitions in your life right now? And maybe you want to write that down this morning. Um, maybe you have like three top ambitions in your life, things that are just kind of you continually, regularly come back to, things that you're working toward or you're working on. And, um, I, and I want to take a second and I want to give you the opportunity to think about those. What are those ambitions in your life? Write them down this morning if, if you want to, but take a second and just think about that. One second. Uh, <laughs> And I think the reality is, is that we don't have to think long because your ambitions are the things that you're building your life around. So if you don't want to think long about what those ambitions are, I want you to take a good look at your life, at the things that you're building your life around, and realize those are your ambitions. Now, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want you to show anybody your list that maybe you've made. Um, I just want you to have it for yourself, but I want you to take a look at it, and I want to ask you another question as a follow-up to the list. Maybe it's just mentally, maybe you wrote it down. But did anything spiritual make that list this morning? When you look at your ambitions in life, are they spiritual in nature? Did anything relate to your walk with Jesus? Did anything relate to your personal spiritual growth or the growth of others? Did any of that come to mind when you're thinking about the goals that you're desiring to pursue in your life? And as I thought about this message this past week, I kept thinking that we sort of need to be warned. And I say that because we, we need to be warned about the dangers of this culture, the dangers of the past, the fast-paced living, uh, the world that we live in, wherever you go, there's this constant pulling away in every corner from spiritual things. Uh, this last week, I spent the week in California, and though it was amazing, and I spent a lot of time on the beach, and it was awesome, and we have a ton of memories there, the one thing I realized is it's just chaotic. There's so much movement going on. And then it's interesting coming back to Idaho and realizing the same thing, isn't it? That is chaotic. There's a ton of movement. There's things going on all around us. Wherever you go, there's constantly things vying for your soul. And as I look at our city today in 2021, and I look at the patterns of life, and I look at the economy, and you look at employers, and then you look at everything down to the devices you carry and the internet and phones and hobbies, do you realize that all of these things are keeping you busy, that they're trying to keep you focused everywhere else except for the main thing? And these things in your life are working to get you into the grind. That's the plan. Get you lost in the shuffle. Get you distracted on anything else. And there are things that, that, that they want you looking at. There's things that, that, that you, they want you thinking about. And almost none of it has anything to do with building up our souls 
in Jesus. And there's this kingdom on this earth. And I have to say this because as we contrast kingdom of heaven, we have to realize there's a kingdom on this earth. And this kingdom on this earth is overseen by who? The evil one. Satan has the throne on that kingdom. And what's interesting is that that kingdom desires to do what? Pursue your soul. To pull you away from the one who created you. And that kingdom is ruled by Satan. Again, he will stop at nothing less than getting you to pursue even the seemingly amazing things in your life that will cost you your soul. He wants your time and attention. And whether we consciously know it or not, the reality is is that many of us are selling all that we have, and this is figuratively speaking, you're selling all that you have in order to gain what that kingdom on earth is offering you. But as we dig into this passage today, I want you to listen to what Jesus has to say about the kingdom of heaven, his kingdom. And as he continues to tell these parables to his disciples here in Matthew 13, I want to preface it with this. Jesus has begun to speak in these parables. The the, the parable is a story, and as Josh had talked about last week, is so eloquently uh, he, 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 he put it, um, but the power of a story in our culture is huge today. Almost anybody w- with a message is trying to sell something. And what we realize, if you come from any sort of a marketing, back- marketing background, is that there is a power in a story, and most products are trying to sell their products by communicating stories to you. For the most part, flashing a picture in front of your face and hoping that you rush out to buy that thing does not work anymore. What you want to know is who made the product, who developed it. You want a glimpse into the lives of the people that manufactured the product. You want to know um, where the money from the product is going. Are there other things that that product is supporting? And so we're convinced, not because we're told that we have to go buy something, we're convinced when, when we're communicated to about why we should have it and what purpose that thing serves in our life. So story is huge in our culture. But as Josh stated last week, these parables, these stories that Jesus begins to tell are way more than just a collection of facts. There's depth to them. There's meaning to them. Jesus was this amazing teacher. He knew that talking in parables would, one, be easily remembered for those that were listening, and two, that it would take some thought and contemplation for people to hear and then to begin to understand and put into practice what it is Jesus was saying. And so for the culture that Jesus is speaking to, it wasn't necessarily anything new to talk like this. The Jewish culture would have been somewhat used to this method of teaching that Jesus is using, but through story. But Jesus knew that talking in parables would for some of them give them greater understanding into what he's saying but for some, that it would just flat out confuse them. And as Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God, he begins to use parables to help bring understanding to common people by using these real life scenarios to help explain or paint this picture of the implications of the kingdom that he's talking about. And so I want you to sit back and listen to what Jesus has to say about the kingdom of heaven as he tells these parables or stories. Matthew 13, verse 44. Are you guys good? All right, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, 
which a man found and he covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys the field. One of the things to understand here is that there were no banks as we know of banks at Jesus' time. Um, so burying treasure wasn't something that was necessarily uncommon. Uh, later in Matthew 25, Jesus tells this parable of the talents. And in this illustration, he, he talks about this wicked and lazy uh, uh, servant that takes his talent, which was you know, an amount of gold or an amount of silver, and he buries it in the ground. And, and you still hear stories today about people that are burying their treasures in the ground, finding everything from gold coins to $100 bills buried in the ground. Anybody in here read that story recently about the dude that found the septic tank in his backyard? Did anybody see that? It's the craziest story. The dude's like out doing work in his backyard, and he's like, dunk, 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 what's that? He starts digging. He's like, oh my gosh, there's like a sweet concrete treasure buried in my backyard. And he keeps on digging and digging. and Oh, it's got a lid and handles on it. And he like keeps on digging and digging and digging. And then it, like you can watch the video. He grabs the end of the shovel and he, he pulls it off and he's so pumped on what he's gonna find in this thing. And it's a straight up septic tank. <laughs> and uh, the guy's like, I had no idea that my house even had a septic tank. I don't know when the last time that thing uh, was even drained. But I say all that to say, totally off topic, <laughs> free fact for y'all. But people still do this kind of stuff today, hide something that's of value somewhere that somebody else could find it. But the man that Jesus shares this, this parable about, he finds this treasure in a field, and then he buries it. And then he sells everything in order to buy the whole field where it's located. So you can have full legal rights to the whole field. Then it goes on to say in, in verse 45 and 46, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So in each of these parables, these stories, you find a couple similar themes. For one, you have this idea of like incomparable worth. Like to the merchant seeking these fine pearls, this man who was probably used to looking at really beautiful things, this particular pearl stuck out and it was the best of the best. There was none other like it. It was the one that was worth giving up the rest of his collection in order to, in order to have this one. And both of these parables emphasize the same idea, that there are things that are worth sacrificing everything else in life for. There are. And so both the man who found the treasure and the man who found the pearl were convinced that a short-term sacrifice, selling everything that they had, was worth the long-term gain in light of what they would receive. Some people may not understand this. They may think that the men were foolish, that they were obsessed, that they were crazy. But these men knew what they were doing. There was something greater in store, and these men knew it. And so the question is, how do we interpret this, and what does this mean? So there's two major schools of thought here, and they both depend on the identity of the men, the men that are talked about in these stories. Does the man represent Jesus who gave everything he had to purchase us? Or does the man represent us and call us to give everything for the kingdom of God? And I would say that it's potentially both. 
but you have to have the right perspective. Those who say that the man is Jesus actually argue that we could never buy the kingdom of heaven on our own no matter how much we sold because after all, that's what Jesus came for. He came for us, he paid the price. And I'd agree 100% with that. But here's the problem, is that this actually assumes the whole point of this parable was the cost of this transaction, which I don't think it actually is. The, the point of the parable is not how much the field cost or how much did the pearl cost. It's not how high the price was. I believe the point of this parable is the incomparable worth of the treasure and the pearl. They were so valuable. So valuable, so precious, so worthy that it makes perfect sense to give up everything else you have in order to receive that item. Walk away from it all to get this one thing. In other words, gaining the kingdom of heaven is worth giving up everything else you've ever had or everything else you've ever thought was precious or valuable. Nothing compares to it. There's nothing the man held back. He literally sold everything he had because the treasure in the field was worth it. That was the thing that captured his attention. The pearl that the merchant found was greater than everything else he had ever seen, and there was nothing he had that was even worth keeping when he found this one pearl. And if keeping it would have prevented him from acquiring this great pearl, like it was abundantly precious. It was of ultimate worth. There was nothing else compared to this one thing that had just been discovered. And this pearl doesn't have to cost $3 billion dollars, it might just cost 10. But if all you have is seven, are you willing to sell something else to raise the funds to get what you need? Is what you'll receive of greater value than what you give up? And so if you're taking notes, you might wanna write this down. The point is not the price, the point's not even the transaction, the point was the value the value of these items. This parable is encouraging us to see that giving up everything for the sake of gaining the kingdom of heaven should be an easy choice for us to make. And I think if we look throughout scriptures, it's really easy to prove. So first, let me make this point, that Jesus was our example in this, right? I want you to consider that what he gave up to establish the kingdom of heaven was great. He gave up everything. He, 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 didn't sell everything he had um, necessarily, but he gave up everything, he stepped aside, he set everything aside for the sake of redeeming you and I. So it really did cost him everything in order to purchase us, to ransom us. And so Christ, the, the, this man, the, this God-man, who eternally pre-existed with God, sets aside all of his divine rights that he had as God, all of his privileges, he comes down to earth, and then in Philippians chapter two, we're told that Jesus empties himself, that by, he does this by taking the form of a servant, that he, by being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the price he paid for us. And so like this man buying the field and like this merchant that's buying the pearl, Jesus sets aside everything he already had and what was the result? What did Jesus gain from this? It goes on to say in, in Philippians 2, 
Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul puts it like this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty would become rich. So what was the result? What what did Jesus gain? He gained establishing the kingdom of heaven and he guaranteed our salvation, amen? So was, was it worth the cost to Jesus to set aside all his rights and privileges, everything that he could have had in order to pay the price for you and I. In fact, great gain came from his sacrifice. And this is what I'm saying. As I'm studying this week, I'm thinking like, I just feel really grateful. As simple as that sounds, I feel grateful that the God of the universe saw it fit enough to literally set aside everything that he could have, every banner he could have waved, everything, every privilege he could have been he could have had that he set it all aside in order to ransom my life. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.18, you were not redeemed or ransomed, listen to this, with corruptible things like silver or gold. Meaning Jesus didn't go pay your ransom with gold or silver items on this earth, material things goes on to say, but with the precious blood of Jesus. A life literally paid that ransom for you. There's no doubt that our salvation was purchased by Jesus. He laid down everything for us. But I also want you to notice this, Matthew 13, 44. If we go back there, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then he covers up and listen to this. Then in his joy. He goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Like selling everything to buy the field and gain the treasure bought the man what? Joy. It brought him joy. Not because of the price that he was going to pay, but because the worth of what he was receiving. Hebrews 12.2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's so crazy to think that Jesus had joy as he endured the cross, isn't it? Because he knew what he was gonna receive as a result of that. He would receive the pleasure of his father. He would receive salvation for humanity. And so in light of all of this, I have no problem understanding that Jesus is the man who gave everything to buy the field and the pearl, but I also want to make the point that Jesus is our example who encourages us to see things the same way as he did. He's calling you to follow him. He he wants us to understand the value of the kingdom of heaven and that everything you leave behind is worth leaving behind in light of what you're receiving in Jesus. You turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Um, 
I want you to see what it says before we're told that Jesus joyfully endures the cross. If you look at Hebrews 12, 1, after telling us in, in Hebrews 11, um, there's all these great men and women of faith that have come before us. And then the author of Hebrews says this in 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So church, my point here is this. Let go of everything else in life and run full throttle after the kingdom of God. Look to Jesus and follow him. You won't regret it. Like you, you, you read about the, the, the disciples and what they left behind in order to chase after Jesus. They had their careers, money, finance, like everything. Life was comfortable and things were in place and things were moving forward and all was good. And then Jesus comes along and he's like, Cast all that in and follow me. And as far as I know, you read the scriptures and it seems as though they're just kind of like, cool, I'm in. It's like, what? <laughs> what? Paul says it this way in Corinthians. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So in other words, the cost of following Jesus, the cost of receiving his kingdom is nothing compared to what you're gonna receive. It's nothing. You don't buy your salvation. You don't earn your salvation. You receive your salvation as a gift from him, but you value its worth as greater than anything else in your life that you could possess. This, this is why the man sells all that he has to gain this treasure in the field. This is why the merchant sells all his other pearls to purchase this one because they're nothing that compared to what's gonna be received on the other side. Like it just didn't matter. He was willing to give up whatever he had to to have the thing that was of most importance to him. Question for you, like do you agree? Do you see the value of the kingdom of God? Do you believe that God has a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory for you? And follow-up to that is, does that excite you? <laughs> like, it gets me amped. Do you want that? Do you see the joy that's set before you? Matthew, this man who's writing all of this down, certainly saw this. You remember back in Matthew chapter 9, we read that Matthew was a tax collector, that he had this great job working for the Roman government, that he made great money, had a house, life was good. One day Jesus walks by, looks him into the eyes, and Jesus says, follow me. And there's literally so much power and conviction behind what Jesus is saying to Matthew. Matthew leaves everything behind, and he follows Jesus. Figuratively speaking, he found the field. He, he found the pearl. He found the thing that was worth more than everything else he had. And so he gave it all up and he chased after Jesus. The Apostle Paul had a really similar experience. He had status. He had position, recognition, comfort. One day Jesus stops him dead in his tracks. He says, follow me. Paul gives up everything that he had going for him for the sake and the gain of Christ. 
Like there was nothing worth holding on to in light of what he was receiving. Paul later says in Philippians 3, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And listen to this. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Jesus. So let me ask you this question this morning. Does that sound like a dude who was willing to sell everything else that he had in order to buy a field where he had found a treasure? I think so. Does it sound like a merchant who was willing to sell every other pearl he had for the sake of this one pearl in front of him? Again, the point of this parable is not the cost of the transaction, it's the worth of the treasure and the pearl compared to everything else in your life. But not everybody sees the value of the treasure or the pearl. Not everybody is willing to say that the treasure or the pearl is more valuable than everything else. And I'm gonna be real with you this morning. You live in a world that is constantly trying to stack everything up to Jesus to distract you from Jesus. It's happening. And the, 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 the sad thing is that even in good old North Idaho, the, the place that I grew up, that, you know, I don't know if you guys remember the days when downtown Coeur d'Alene was the ghetto, but that was, there was a time, and you buy houses for $40,000 downtown Coeur d'Alene. Those days did exist, and obviously it doesn't exist anymore, but my fear for our city, for the believers in our city, is that we will get so caught up in seeing green and seeing dollar signs and seeing the opportunity and all the amazing growth that's happening. I mean, it is cool what God is doing here. Don't get me wrong. But if we get caught up in all the junk that the enemy has literally laid out to distract you and pull you away, you will stack up all these other things. You will build your life around all of these other things. And one day you will go, what happens when all of that crashes down and I have nothing left? Because it won't last. Back in Matthew chapter eight, we read about this disciple who told Jesus, I'll follow you, but he says, but let me do it later after my father dies, right? Like, I'll, I'll take care of it I'll, I'll, after I bury my father. And more than likely, he's using this as like a figure of speech, sort of like saying, following you sounds like a good idea, but I've got a lot of, a lot of other things going on right now. Like, let me get these things taken care of, and then let's see what I can do, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, come now. And he says, follow me, and then Jesus goes on to say, and leave the dead to bury their own dead. He's not trying to be insensitive. He's literally saying, why wait? In other words, like sell all you have, buy the field, and put this first. I feel like I've heard so many excuses in my life over the years. When I was younger, it was mainly hearing other kids tell me, I'll follow Jesus after I've had my fun. You heard that? I remember being younger, kids like, I'm gonna go party, have fun. As soon as I've kind of ran my race and done my thing, like then I'll make Jesus a priority. Then you get a little bit older. And you start hearing people say, like, I'm not interested in Jesus right now because I'm interested in life and family and career and hobbies. 
And, and nowadays it's more like, I'm not interested because Christians are hypocrites or Christians aren't loving as they profess Jesus is. But what you realize is this, that there's no time better than now. There really isn't. You'll always have excuses or reasons to delay and to push it off. And at the end of the day, what most people are most fearful of is making a commitment and having to walk away from other commitments they've made in order to make the commitment the priority. And what I'm finding is that this is why hitting rock bottom is so amazing, isn't it? It's amazing, actually. This is how God redeems some of the most catastrophic events in history. Some of the worst experiences in your life was the enemy coming against you and taking you out, and then Jesus redeeming that thing by saying, now I've got you at a place where nothing else matters anymore, and the only thing you know that is stable in your life is me. Because when our security and our valuables, when they're taken away from us, it actually puts us in a place of then wondering, like, what's solid? What can I reach for? And then we start looking at Jesus. And many of you know the story of the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and he asks, like, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and follow me. And it says that the man went away sad because he had so many things. The man who discovered the treasure in the field had a lot of things too, I guarantee you. The merchant who found the pearl had a ton of other pearls. The, the man and the merchant saw the greater value of this discovery. They were willing to part with anything else in their life for the sake of getting what they found, but sadly, the rich young ruler was not willing to do that. So what about you? Are you trying to get as much of the world as you can with one hand and hold on to Jesus with the other? I've done 30 funerals probably in the last 10 years of my life. And when I would sit down with families, I'd ask them about the person's connection to the church. Like, are they believers? Or are they connected to the church? Do they have friends? Like, how active were they in the church? And so many times I'd be told, well, they said they were Christian, but they weren't very active in the church, so they didn't talk much about their faith. And you just think like, oh, that really sucks. And then I've participated in services before for, for people who everyone knew Jesus was at the center of their life. Like they weren't afraid to talk about it and tell everybody about it. Everyone knew that they had found the treasure. Everyone knew that they had found the pearl. And I want to encourage you this morning to live in such a way that someone can preach your funeral well. If you found something so valuable, doesn't the world have to hear about that? <laughs> if it means that much, if it means that much, people will know you, that you're a follower of Jesus, not by the church you attend, but by your profession of Jesus by how much you value the gift that you've been given. Do you value the treasure? Do you value the pearl? Valuing the kingdom of heaven and your place in it above everything else in life is the cost of following Jesus. And so I wanna ask the hard sort of probing question here. What are the things that you won't give up to get more of Jesus? What are they? What's filling your hands so that Jesus cannot today? To reference another parable, are there cares and concerns growing up in your life 
that are literally choking you out? Are there things that are smothering your soul, things you won't give up for the sake of receiving more of Jesus? Have you acquired a big enough pearl yet? Are you satisfied with everything you've got? What do you do with the hard things that Jesus says, like Matthew 10, 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross, follow me, is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Does that sound anything like the guy that goes and sells all he has to buy the field? It does to me. And you know what's crazy is that Jesus can say hard stuff like this because Jesus knows the value of what you're being offered. He knows it. He knows the kingdom of heaven is better than money, which is gone before you make it. Biden bucks are already cash, right? You had them, they're gone. It's better than your job. It's better than a house. It's, it, it, it's better than vacation. It's better than a car. But do you realize that the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus is inviting you into, is more valuable than your sense of identity? Whether you get that from your sexuality, from your accomplishments, or anything else, do you believe that getting the kingdom of heaven is better than getting riches or rank or revenge? Are you captivated with the Savior and his kingdom, or is this all just something that's tolerable? You can go along with it, but it's not really worth getting crazy about. And I'd argue that's been our problem for a long time. I'm not willing to get crazy about it, but yet the Bible's littered with people who were. I'm just like, how do we get off thinking that we have the easy route? (laughs) So Jesus is making this point that it's worth getting crazy about, that what God is offering you in the kingdom of heaven is of greater value than the sum total of everything else in your life. So I'll end on this and invite the worship team up. The last parable he shares is this, and it's a harsh reality. 1347. Again, he says, the kingdom of heaven. So what is he likened to the kingdom of heaven to up to this point? A treasure in a field, a merchant going out looking for pearls. And now he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that is thrown into the sea and gathers fish of every kind. And it's interesting, that word kind, um, it actually means people of all nations, classes, like everybody. So gathers fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore, sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. And so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a passage probably doesn't preach super awesome in most churches, right? Like, anything pertaining to judgment ends up sort of being tempered in the church. It's one of the reasons why I like just going verse by verse through the Bible because we're gonna hit sections like this that you're just like, whoa, that seems harsh. Well, this is reality. That there will be a judgment. And this parable is similar to the wheat and the tares that Josh had talked about last week. The, the world is this mixed bag of all kinds of people. And everybody gets caught in the net. The kingdom catches them all. And everybody will be examined by the fishermen. But the harsh reality is that this isn't 
a sort of catch and release game. It's you're caught and righteous or you're caught and not found righteous because you didn't know Jesus and you're judged. And the reality is that there is an eternal place that exists that is separate from God. And if you're counted worthless or evil, you don't just get released back into the lake. And I know it sounds like the hellfire and brimstone message, but Jesus lays it out, man. There's a way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. He is it. And Jesus is actually giving you the choice this morning. He is who makes you righteous. He goes on to say in verse 51, have you understood all these things? And what do they say to him? Yes. Have you guys understood all these things this morning? I'm, I'm not understanding them all. And they say yes. And he says to them, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. What does this mean? If you own a house in here, or you rent a place, or you're the master of a house, there are times when you have guests over, and you may go grab an old item. Like some people go grab their high school photo. You know, this is when I threw the touchdown pass in 1974, you know, when I was so awesome. And you're like, yeah, I don't really care about that. But it has value to that person, right? So like people come over to your house, you go grab the old stuff, and you're like, check this out. This thing's valuable to me. I just want you to see this. Now, if you come to my house, my son is probably going to be like, check out these really rad new shoes. And those have value to him. So both the old things and the new things have value. And we often want to show both of them off. And everything that Jesus was telling them fit with the things that they had learned from the Old Testament. There was value in the Old Testament law. And the people that Jesus is speaking to should have had the ability to see how Jesus was fulfilling God's promises and his prophecies. They should have been able to proclaim the kingdom of heaven from the scriptures that they already knew while also being able to sort of explain them with new insights as Jesus did. And notice how in the book of Matthew, as we get to certain sections, you read through the gospel, and you see Matthew quote the Old Testament time and time again, and he says things like, this was to fulfill. And so he's always pointing us back, like this is actually in fulfillment of this. And what's interesting for, like Bruce is leading a class right now on Thursday nights where it's called God's Big Picture, and we're trying to teach people to see the thread of Jesus throughout the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Because unfortunately, most of us were raised in churches that did a really good job always teaching us the, the New Testament, but sort of walked away from the old and didn't acknowledge the fact that Jesus is littered all throughout the Old Testament. The New Testament is exciting because of what the Old Testament says about the one who's to come, and Jesus fulfilled it. It's amazing. And so for all of us today, we should be able to see Jesus in the Old Testament and the New. We should be able to share Jesus from the Old Testament and the New. 
because the whole narrative is about him. It's a story of redemption. Don't miss what so many did. The people he's literally talking to, they're like, do you understand it? Yes. No, they don't. And so I want to close by asking this question. Where do you stand in all of this? Do you see all that Christ has done for you? Do you understand and value all that he offers you? Are you captivated by Jesus? Is his kingdom worth more to you than anything else in this life? Or is something holding you back? What is it in your life that that you're not willing to sell for the sake of the treasure, for the sake of the pearl? What are you pursuing or holding on to and said, do you really believe, like honestly believe, that what you found on your own is greater than what's been offered to you in Jesus? I'll end with this. One of the amazing things about this passage, you look at these parables and I don't know about you but did you notice how the treasure and the pearl were found like the treasure was almost found by accident the man wasn't a treasure hunter he's out in a field and he finds this treasure and then his life is like immediately interrupted because he finds this thing and then he's now all of a sudden he's like I gotta bury this thing back up I gotta go buy this field so I could have that thing that I found The merchant, on the other hand, was on the lookout. He was searching for something bigger and better and something more. And so I'll leave you with this. I think there's a couple different people in the room this morning. There's some of you that you know Jesus. Maybe you found him by happenstance, wandering through the field, and it was a shock. You weren't even ready for it. You found Jesus. Maybe some of you in this room found Jesus because you went out seeking. You literally, you were reading, asking questions, devouring scriptures, seeking it out, and Jesus met you there. On the other hand, there's another person in this room that some of you are the ones here seeking today. You've been reading, asking questions, trying to figure it out. Some of you stumbled into this place this morning and you sort of found the treasure. All of us leave here today with the responsibility to look Jesus in the face and say, what are we going to do with him? Are we going to believe that he's the way, the truth, and the life? There's no other way to the Father except through Jesus. And if that's the case, are you willing to bet the farm on Jesus this morning? Are you willing to do that? So I want to pray with you. If you'd bow your heads. Maybe you're somebody who's here this morning who's looking. You're seeking. And I just want to remind you this morning that he's here. You don't have to look any further. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one you've been waiting for, is here. Some of you didn't even know what you were walking into this morning. You're sitting here like, I don't even know what this is about. Like, what? I have to give everything to follow? Like, does that mean I gotta go sell my house and quit my job and yada, yada, yada? But what I'm saying this morning is like, what you're gonna receive is more valuable than anything you could ever give. And are you willing to cash it in to follow after him with all you have? Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for each person in this room. I pray, God, your hand upon their lives. I pray, Jesus, as we leave here, that we would be a people that don't hoard this gift, that we would not be a people that 
um, talk about it amongst ourselves and in the holy huddle, but sort of keep it to ourselves and never share it with the world. And I'm just praying, God, for our church that you divinely, supernaturally empower us, Lord, that you'd move through us, that your spirit would literally take us from this place, that we would be the megaphone communicating the gospel of Jesus, this kingdom of heaven, to the city that we live in. And I pray, God, for miraculous things to come. I pray for opportunities that we never thought imaginable. I'm praying for those that are in this room this morning that know they came here this morning, knew that they were feeling the sense of like this hole in their heart, like there's something missing. And they've reached for so many things. They've elevated so many things. They've built their life around so many other things only to find that as they had those things and they stacked that deck, it still wasn't enough and it still came crumbling down. And they're here this morning and they're like, what's next? I asked Jesus, as your word says, if they confess with their mouth that you are Lord and believe in their heart that God raised you from the dead, Jesus, that they will be saved. And very simply, I ask this morning, God, that they would cry out to you, Jesus, save me. Come, Lord Jesus, come, save me. And I thank you for your grace. Grateful this morning, God, for the work that you've done in my life and so many others. And I pray you'd go with us as we leave this afternoon in your name.